Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Max Checkoed Out. I'm your host, Richard Reddy. Welcome to our Abu Dhabi race review. Well, this is the last race review of the season and that has flown by, hasn't it? No, it really hasn't. It's been a long season and the thing to bear in mind is that is probably the shortest F1 season you'll have between now and the day you stop watching Formula One. Uh, So get used to it, because I think we are locked in for 20-plus races a season. After this show, we'll be back midweek with a tech season review with Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com and Matt Trumpets, and we'll do our season review next Sunday in the form of a call-in. That's right, you can be on Missed Apex podcast. How about that? Don't mess it up. I've worked really hard on it. Uh, So coming up, we'll discuss, did Perez deserve more help to get second in the championship? Did Leclerc accidentally win P2 in that same championship fight? Was that a fitting send-off for Das Finger, Sebastian Vettel? And is this Mercedes pain in vain? But let me remind you that we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? I'm going to get Leclerc to buy me a lottery ticket before he goes home. Ah, I see. You and I were going to argue about whether it was luck or skill that got that Ferrari into P2 today. Yep. Bit of both, I think. Okay. And we're also joined by someone who's taking a break from examining cows. It's our resident vet, Chris Catman-Turner. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spanners. I'm a bit emotional this evening. It's uh, been a bit of a a lovely send-off there for Vettel. You're a big Vettel fan. Yeah, I am now. 
Oh, what were you five years ago? I had a bit of a break, but I was back in the day. <laughs> okay, and to be clear, uh, you you do work on a farm and look after cows. I mean, if you call a farm a house and uh, the cows a cat, then yes. Well, uh, it's nice that because Chris Stevens isn't on for once, we get to call you Chris instead of reverting to Catman. So, so you're like the main Chris this week. I hope you feel special. I, I always thought I was the better Chris. Yeah, no, he's not here. So I'll say yes. Uh, we're also joined by cheerleader and TikTok star Antonia Rankin. Hey, Antonia. Hi. Yeah, I'm very excited to never see that Mercedes W13 race ever again. Yeah, there's uh, some people suggested that they should like have a burning party and just <laughs> set it alight, which is a bit, I think, a bit harsh to the people who had like a well-meaning try. I think most of the people who worked on the W13 probably did their job as they normally do. It's just that the concept didn't click. Yeah, full credit to all of the mechanics and everyone working at the factory. But with full respect, I cannot wait to see it go. <laughs> they should paint it black. That'll reset everything. <laughs> Maybe. Make the silver go away. Okay, um, before we get into one and lost, I just actually want to take a quick dive into qualifying. <laughs> Some European in our live chat room says everyone was a Vettel fan between 2010 and 2013. Oh, this is a chat for the off-season. In fact, um, after our season review, maybe we do a, a Vettel career look back and, and just do a, a whole show because there was a really interesting stat where it, it, there hasn't been a season for 16 seasons where either Vettel or Hamilton hasn't finished in the top two of the driver championship, which shows you what a significant part of F1 he's been. So I think if you kind of did a breakdown of Sebastian Vettel's career, you're actually doing a breakdown of Formula One from 2009 onwards uh, hands up if you're up for that catman's in there we go so, uh, oh they're all in okay so just the same panel for the whole of the off season uh, a little bit of a, a look into qualifying though matt i know we tell people all the time that they should uh, get on the f1 live timing you can subscribe to it from f1 we don't get a cut but we should uh, but you get all the live timing data all the sector data you also get all the team radio and you get the bbc commentary as well should you choose to pick that this is the first time I had the option on to just have all the team radio all weekend and it just interrupted me. Do you have that on? I know you, you tried multi-view this, this week. Yeah, I tried multi-view. No, I haven't. I haven't. I don't quite have enough windows to have that as like a separate audio feed. And, and really for me, what I do is I split between the F1 TV feed and, ah, the, right. um, and the BBC feed. And I used to do that by panning to either ear and I could hear separately and it was pretty good. Now I actually listen on my iPad and then I have the other feed coming right. into one headphone. So I do the classic recording musician thing of just taking the one earphone off. Uh, but I, I just found it like really insightful because yes, you do lose a bit of the commentary because it interrupts you with stuff, but you just got an insight into like how the drivers were progressing throughout the weekend. Like it was fascinating that Gasly was just not on pace uh, at any point and he was getting tips on oh well well this is what Sonoda's doing here this is what Sonoda's doing there and you could kind of see that develop over the course of Friday and Saturday yeah no he was totally stealing Sonoda's homework to do a halfway decent job and he still didn't do as good a job as Sonoda and it, it's interesting that that last year too people forget how well Yuki did at this track this seems to be like one of his favorite places to go racing I don't really know why but he's consistently done a good job here as long as he's been in F1, which is admittedly only two seasons. 
And, and the other interesting thing was that you could hear all the qualifying uh, malarkey going on and the different approaches the drivers took. So there was quite an interesting kerfuffle at the end with Lewis Hamilton trying to overtake uh, Max Verstappen and Verstappen seeming to steer into the right of him. Uh, but uh, that that actually overshadowed what a good job the strategists seemed to do at Red Bull. Red Bull got in everyone's way all qualifying long and, and Vettel was on the radio complaining about them as were others but it seemed like they did a little bit like what uh, Hamilton did in Singapore a few years back and they just did absolutely no tyre warm-up whatsoever like really just concentrated on saving the tyres and going as slowly as possible and it seemed to work it really produced a good qualifying performance but it did create a bit of chaos behind them. Yeah that's it because they had to do such a slow warm-up lap because into sector three, by the time they got to the end of their hot lap, the tyres were just absolutely melting. So the slower your outlap, the better. But that does mean you get in everybody's way. I thought the, an amazing thing was watching Vettel, as you said, kind of going through the traffic, the commitment he had on that final lap that he did to just fly through about three or four different cars without taking his foot off the throttle was amazing. Yeah, just on Vettel, I do think I just want to give him a little bit of credit for how great that qualifying was. It was so fab to see him really come to life. I know it was his last race, so maybe there was a little bit of, you know, give it everything you've got. Not that he hasn't been doing that. I mean, it was fantastic. That's what you strongly implied just then. That he's been (laughs) phoning it uh, in until his last race. Perhaps. Yes, maybe slightly. But I mean, you know, Seb, he's such a fantastic driver, such a great loss from the sport for him to be retiring. But I mean, he was blistering in in quali. I mean, a P9, did he qualify in the end? Fantastically done. And he did provide a little bit of entertainment, of course, with the constant Red Bulls getting in the way and the irony of that being his four-time championship winning team. I have never had that much passion and commitment on the last day of any job I've had. I have always a hundred percent phoned it in, and I'd have been, I'd have been home, I'd have been uh, home for the weekend uh, by the by the time that Vettel was passionately yelling and shouting and going, ah, they're getting in the way. I super care about this now, uh, Matt. Yeah, well, I want to go back to what Chris was talking about: is the tires that Pirelli brings, and they brought the softest tires. Because I know you were about to ask me that question, I was. and they have never, as long as I've been watching races at this track lasted all three full sectors. So you always have to choose where are you going to take the most out of the tires? Are you going to save it for the third sector? Is it sector two where you want to make your time? And that all is down to kind of your aero concept. But what was interesting, and you mentioned just going as slowly as possible and not warming the tires up, but there were several drivers who complained about losing tire temperatures in the queue to leave. And having a particularly bad sector one, some of whom, Uh maybe Alonso, didn't actually even make it into Q3. So so that kind of explains why uh, cars were hurrying to get past Max Verstappen, who was who was going quite slowly. And if you okay, so on social media, what was doing the rounds was this like five second clip of Hamilton going around Verstappen and Verstappen appearing, and it really did look like it, appearing to like look in his mirror, time it for when Hamilton was coming, and then kind of just jink over. And it, it looked like more of a gesture. It's not like his car lurched wildly to the right. It wasn't like Stroll running off uh, Verstappen or Alonso or whoever he's running off on a straight this week. It, it did look, though, like there was some intent there. But the the scene that didn't get shared as much showed 
all the chaos kind of a few corners back where lots of cars were going past Verstappen and he seemed to single out Hamilton to block him again. So it really did look like, and I'm sure all these drivers play mind games and to some extent Lewis Hamilton getting around uh, Verstappen in his head will have been, this might annoy Verstappen if I go around him, but also I don't want to lose my tyre attempts. Um, But it definitely feels like after everything, after Hamilton not being in this title chase at all, Verstappen still has eyes on what Hamilton is doing. Almost like the Mercedes form is just a brief break and Verstappen knows it. What is it they say? Living rent-free in your head? I don't know, Um, but it was pretty funny to me that the message he got afterwards was like, let him go, let him go play. Let him go play. was a message Max got (laughs) after that happened, if I'm remembering the incident correctly. But, but this is why I was saying getting on the, watching the team, listening to the team radio is so good because you could see that that was the situation all the way through that, that they said to him even before they said, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Just concentrate on your tire warm up. And he, he, he was able to do that for 18 cars on the track. So I take it this is an implicit endorsement of my idea to let the drivers talk directly to each other when they are on track. Yeah, I think, what do you think, Antonia? Just have open comms. That would be one hell of a discord. Gosh, I think the the little bleep machine that whoever's moderating would need to be using, it would be a constant blur of beeps sometimes. No, to be, whilst communication, of course, is important between the teams, obviously the relationship they have with each other on, on the actual circuit is going to be incredibly competitive because the drivers are, by nature, egotists because they have to be in order to win races. But um, I don't think that would encourage meaningful, useful communication so much as cussing each other out aggressively. That's got to be the understatement of the season on Missed Apex. <laughs> I, I don't think that that would in, <laughs> endorse or, or encourage meaningful conversation. Uh, okay, let's find out where the race was won and lost. All right, this is the bit where I will take you through all the strategy and tactic connotations. So it was mainly about uh, tyres this week, and it was the battle of the one-stops versus two-stops. Do you know what? I'm, I'm exhausted. Matt, you do it. Okay, fine. And I'm going to assume that for this particular race, since the championship itself was far from done, was far from far from any kind of being caught. Max was done with the championship he won. When you say where the race was won and lost, I assume you mean race for second in the driver's championship, because that's where everyone's attention was focused, whether or not we wanted it to be there. So, Like like 2013. 2013 from Silverstone onwards, Sebastian Vettel won 87 races in a row. Uh, Sometimes he won three or four races in a single weekend. He was was that dominant, and uh, that was just the sound of a lamp falling off my makeshift Barcelona studio uh, but uh, but yeah I think this season it has been kind of valid just to discount for stuff and go yeah you know he won let's see how the rest of the pack did yeah I mean if we want to mention him he won the race to the first turn and that was pretty much it as far as he was concerned it was just uh, yeah I'm gonna lap and play some Mario Kart on my steering wheel while I win the race but where it got really really interesting was the battle for second between Perez and Leclerc. And why it was so interesting is we saw something we almost never see. A one-stop strategy versus a two-stop strategy for all the marbles. And with Pirelli telling us ahead of time that they thought the two-stop strategy was slightly quicker. And in this case, it all came down to, in my opinion, how Perez drove the first 11 laps of the race. 
Yeah, I mean, he was very much in Verstappen's sights to begin with. He was within DRS, which would have served him very well if he'd have stayed within that window. But then, of course, by the first... But after the last 11 laps or so, he very much kind of disappeared because his tyres had dropped off, which unfortunately had the tyre management perhaps been better, you know, not to put that all on Perez, but had the tyre management been better, there might have been scope for a faster slap towards the end of the race, which, you know, every point matters with this kind of take it or or have nothing, all or nothing um, championship decider. But... Unfortunately, it just didn't quite seem to click right for Perez. His team seemed overly optimistic at times with the tyre management, with how well he was going to be performing. And then it meant that actually, fast forward to the end of the race, Perez just wasn't there. (laughs) Uh, Catman. I was going to say, do you think that Perez had more of an eye on Verstappen than Leclerc behind? Such was their impression of their dominance for the early part of the weekend. He thought, well, if I can just keep close to DRS, Uh, I I mean, that probably lasted for about two laps. And then he saw him scampering off into the distance and then went, oh, maybe not then. But I just don't think that they really had an eye behind. Maybe they Ferrari'd themselves. Well, you bring up an excellent point that will no doubt start a mild discussion with certain other people on the panel, because I think that throughout this race, Leclerc and Ferrari were baiting both Red Bull and Perez into a series of increasingly worse decisions, (laughs) all the while putting a great deal of pressure on them that they were kind of unused to. And I'll say it right now, had Perez executed properly, I think he should have finished second overall. Uh, well, okay. So the one thing that I, I heard from the Red Bull camp that they could have done differently in this race was, so yes, Antonio's saying he might have overpushed in that in that first stint, and then you're saying in the first eleven laps was that the first stint? Is that was that them yeah, getting, yeah, getting off the Yeah, he pitted lap fifteen, I believe. Right. Perez did. Um, but they also said that actually they they left too much on the tires in the middle stint as well and the the bit you're talking about i guess we're we're skipping and jumping around a bit here but the bit you're talking about is where leclerc was told on the radio do the opposite to to red bull so you have a, a red bull team that have been saving tires in the second stint suddenly having this this dilemma this option right do they now respond to that because they basically know if they don't pit leclerc is going to pit and uh, antonio this undercut was massive and i don't think I've, we've seen that this season so it takes a little bit of unpacking what effect the undercut had on the tactics today yeah i mean it's a very commonly seen phenomenon in f1 you know do whatever your opponent doesn't do however executed to this degree of wow it's it is quite wet rare and to be honest i do think i think we were all a little bit surprised i mean even on the commentary they were a little bit surprised we all kind of thought ferrari were going to be a little bit further back today we thought their fight was going to be with mercedes so then when that undercut was so powerful i think red bull were like whoa mm. hold on a second where have they come from because they weren't expecting charles leclerc to be able to pull out that much of a gap and re-enter the race after that pit stop in yeah. such good stead so uh, as far as the undercut goes, it, feel, it felt to me watching the timing screens that it was worth about two seconds a lap, which is quite a monster undercut. So the people who were aggressive actually came out like six seconds. I think um, Lewis Hamilton gained six seconds on George Russell. Perez gained six seconds on, on Max Verstappen. So really, once, uh, once Perez had pitted, this is the bit, Matt, where I'm going to argue with you and go... I, I think there might have been a bit of luck involved because okay. I think they actually made the wrong, that they got the wrong 
end of that decision. To start with, they left, whether to be the chasers or the holder honorers, up to complete chance. They let Red Bull decide. That's quite passive. So you can't actually tell which is the good one out of those two anyway. You're saying, Red Bull, you decide, you pick the best strategy. They could have just waited for Perez to pass the pits and then gone pit, pit, pit. So that's my first argument for Ferrari won that P2 by accident because they could have easily had Red Bull not pit and then they would have been pitting. Well, yeah, but that assumes that Ferrari had decided ahead of time that a two-stop strategy was optimal for their car. And I'm thinking, based on what Leclerc said after the race, that was not, in fact, the case. So the way I see it is that they let, they kind of let look the Perez off the leash a little bit. And as his tires started to go, Leclerc was, was just reeling him in. I mean, it was under, under two seconds, under one second, right around one second when he came in. And here's the thing. They sent him that message before turn 12 when Perez made his initial pit. And Perez comes in, he stays out. Now, I think that's what Ferrari wanted to have happen. And Perez immediately, when he's leaving the pits, was, was this the point where he goes, yes, he goes wide and lets Vettel get in front of him because he was already on a mission to try and make up the time on those tires and get around Vettel. And to me, that's big mistake number one from Perez. And that's directly because Ferrari put that pressure on him uh, and on the Red Bull oh, team. Okay, okay. There's some legitimacy to that, I suppose. So what you're saying is that, you know, Perez, because they, they didn't choose specifically that lap, they weren't there managing their pit window. And I suppose it took away the opportunity to have like a hammer time uh, opportunity to go, right, here's two laps, use up all the rest of your tires. And, and like I said, I think they did say that they'd left tires uh, on they'd left wear on the tires uh, Catman then Antonia yeah as you said they didn't get the opportunity to find their little pit window to drop him into a nice bit of space he had to fight for that space to be able to make the use of those new tires to get that undercut to work correctly and the issue is of course at this point only a couple of other people had pitted before so it was quite early I mean science pitted two laps later so Making that call to go, to, if you're Leclerc, to go in that early would have been quite bold. Was Ferrari putting the the pressure on to do the opposite? He's actually you know, making them try and kind of bluff them into a move they don't want to make. Well, this is it. And they were all nodding now. I think it, it was Matt kind of slyly implying that maybe it was just a, an out and out and out and out bluff. Antonia first and then go, we'll, we'll let Matt round this off and, and feel all smug that he's probably right. Well, it's the key to any effective undercut. You need a fantastic outlap and a fantastic inlap because, you know, well, when you're coming into the pits, you know, you can burn off all of the tyres you've got and then your tyre warm-up needs to be as effective and efficient as possible so that you don't lose even more time from the delta that you've already lost in the pits. So by tricking per se Red Bull into doing a pit stop when they're not necessarily wanting to they then have to sacrifice the ideal conditions for an outlap and inlap which then maximizes the amount of delta that the pit stop has and there is more time lost per se. Yeah and what I love about this is this then plays directly into the second pit stop for Perez whereby Leclerc comes in on lap 22. Now, the thing about lap 22 that makes it really special, it was about the last lap you could come in for a two-stop strategy 
but it was also about the first lap you could come in for a one-stop strategy on the hard tires. So they left the plausibility that Ferrari might have to stop again. And we all know Ferrari has terrible degradation on their tires. And what this sets up is that second pit stop where Perez winds up getting into a battle with Hamilton the whole time. Leclerc is there driving just slowly enough that they think we're going to catch him. I, I have a little bit of a problem with the assertion that Ferrari just pulled off a a King of the North, Rob Stark level of victory over the Lannisters suddenly in race 47 of 2022 when they've been much more kind of black watch up until now. Isn't Occam's razor, isn't our the simplest thing is the most likely that they just fluked into a bit of a, a good strategy? I mean, look, credit to them. It all really worked out. And we're building this masterful picture of them playing 4D chess. I'm just saying it, it doesn't quite fit my narrative of 2022 Ferrari. Well, I have two simple responses to you. One is, of course, the broken clock. Sure. Always going to be right twice a season. The other, I think, that might be more germane to our discussion here is the fact that they weren't really worried too much about Carlos Sainz in this race, were they? In this season? Well, no, in this race in particular, they didn't have to worry very much about Carlos and where he was going to wind up. And as a result, they only had one problem to solve. And and one thing that they probably focused on for the whole weekend, and that was how can we possibly get Leclerc ahead of Perez? I do. I, I actually completely agree with that in the aspect of I think Ferrari accidentally did what is a very good idea, which is just focusing on your own race. You know, they they were very much in the idea of we're going to get Leclerc this P2 in the championship. And how are we going to do that? So by Verstappen being so far out ahead that immediately ruled him out as someone who could get in the way they knew that their battle wasn't with Verstappen so therefore between them and them and P2 it's just it's just Leclerc and you know Sainz wasn't really around to do much helping out unfortunately he was up there but not too much and in that way they just managed to pull out a really great performance for Leclerc because they weren't reactive they weren't doing anything skittishly or yes. you know like, last minute like they have historically with strategy Monaco, and they were just yeah. watching their own race yeah yeah that, that's true matt when they've been when they've been under pressure and have had to make those quick calls in the clutch that seems to be when when they've they've gone wrong they, they seem to have this battle plan with plans a through to to z but when it's a you know that kind of split decision they seem to have got that wrong all season Whereas today, perhaps they just they sketched it out a little better. They were more in control. They they were less reactionary. Yeah, they they had less decision making to do because the focus was simply getting Leclerc ahead. Um, but I am going to disagree, at risk of my life, with Antonia a tiny bit, in that there was a moment when Leclerc emerged from his only pit stop where Sainz had him lined up in DRS. He was on hot tires. Leclerc was on cold tires. We never heard any radio transmissions, and Sainz never did anything but follow Leclerc through those turns till his own tires were up to temperature. I was, yeah, I was really surprised to see that, to be honest, because watching it unfold, I was half expecting a radio message 
two signs saying Leclerc needs this point, leave him alone. But it almost seemed like signs kind of decided to do yeah. that off of his own devices, which is not very akin to the idea of I want the position because they were racing for a podium at that point. It was a That's battle true. for P3. And I was really surprised not to see signs because he was right on the back of Leclerc. I was so surprised not to see him push more. And then, like you said, Matt, he kind of just disappeared and we heard nothing more of it. I wonder, because of what Verstappen did in Brazil and the reaction he got from that, I mean, we got universally negative feedback from surprising sources as well, from from Verstappen fans who were saying, you know, I'm a Verstappen fan and I did not like how it came across in Brazil. And uh, perhaps Sainz had that in the back of his head that if he cost Leclerc second place in the championship, the Tifosi were gonna were gonna have him for 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 post siesta break, uh, for post siesta meal. Uh, Catman. Yeah, I was just gonna add it. Was, it's almost like they discussed it beforehand and had a plan and stuck to it. Unlike a certain other team that that don't seem to work that way. And it's also the favor bank. I mean, you know how this works. Those of you with partners understand exactly how this works. I've done you a favor. And then at some point in the future, I could say, hey, you know, I did that thing for you. Maybe I could go do a thing instead. And you keep it broadly equal and everybody's happy. Like when I scrape the bare minimum to keep up my end even slightly and then expect to be left alone for the whole of the next day because I'm tired from sort of trying. Exactly. Antonia. Yeah, no, to be honest, I think it comes down to just the whole, yeah, maybe there was a little bit of seeing the Brazil action with Mm. Verstappen and thinking, oh, goodness, I've got to be the biggest team player that ever team played, you know, just to make himself perhaps not have any controversy in the last race of the season. But yeah, you know, not only was P2 in for Charles on the cards, but also P2 in the Constructors' Championship as well. And maybe they'd had a conversation about who was most likely to actually finish higher eventually. You know, like Hammond said, it does just sound like they had a conversation before the race, Mm. spoke about the logistics, talked about scenarios, and that was executed very seamlessly. Okay, so from a tactics point of view, uh, we had an interesting scenario here, which is in the end, Perez did pit. So he pitted onto the the same tyres, so onto the hards, but a, a newer version of the hards. And, of course, that gave him a a pit stop delta. So he was something like 20 seconds down and 22 seconds down. Uh, Thank you, Matt. And then what you have is a very kind of classic F1 chase of the person who decided to come onto new tyres. Can they hunt down and make up that gap? Because we're always screaming at people and we're saying, because even in this race, I was saying, will somebody go to lap 40 and stick soft tyres on and then charge up the field? Yuki Snowda did it and it, it didn't really work at all and they went off quite quickly. So that's why I'm not an F1 strategist, Matt. But I think uh, here it was a classic hunt down, you know. And so for Ferrari, they're looking over their shoulder and they go, right, Perez has pitted and they can look at those lap times and you've got to do this mental maths to go, right, not only how much faster is he and how many laps are left? How long will his tyres last? How long will our tyres last? How, how, how are these tyres affected by the fuel? Yeah, and see, this is the thing. The pit delta is 22 seconds. I think you were correct in terms of the absolute value of the time Perez had to make up. It was about 19 seconds, and I believe he made up about 17 of that by the end of the race. But here's the thing that even Ferrari wouldn't have known. And I think this is why their strategy worked, too. They Nobody really knew how that hard tire was going to do on that Ferrari. We thought they'd have terrible tire degradation, but because there's only one nighttime session, which matches when the race is, 
none of the none of the teams at the Sharpen really ran the hard tire in representative conditions. And my guess is that an espresso fueled Giovinazzi in the Ferrari simulator between the end of <laughs> FP2 and the start of FP3 might be their secret weapon because I guarantee you that's where they got that setup from. And then the temperatures came down just enough for Ferrari to be back in that beautiful window where a driver of Leclerc's skill could keep those tires alive and giving really good lap times all the way to the end of the race. And I'm going to say right now, not every driver could have done that. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I completely agree. And I think we are criminally, I think we do this often, but we are just underestimating Leclerc and not giving him enough credit because whilst he does make a lot of mistakes, he is a phenomenally skilled driver, one of one of the best of his, his generation and one of the best on the grid at the moment. And the fact of the matter is Red Bull were not expecting him to do as well as he was in that final stint. Mm-hmm. You know, the radio message to Perez said, you'll be with him in the final yeah, lap. You can was, get him there. They were super confident weren't they? They were just they, like, they yeah, were. of course we will. They, they, were, they were in Perez's ear saying, oh, go on, Perez, you've got him. Don't worry, don't worry, you're fine. And he wasn't fine, unfortunately. He wasn't anywhere close because not only was Leclerc pulling out, you know, he wasn't going to be caught, but also he was driving very, very well and ignoring all of that, even if Perez had managed to make up that gap by the last lap, which he didn't, mm. catching and overtaking, as the saying goes, are two completely different things. Murray Walker. Quote, you're invoking Murray Walker on the stream. That will be very popular. Um, But also, the gap was coming down with Perez pushing and assuming he'd have all the tyres in the world, Matt. But maybe Leclerc was was thinking, right, well, I need to hold some to to defend. So there's a certain element of of letting them get up to you and then making sure you've got enough tyres to do something about it. Absolutely. In fact, you know, it was coming down so fast. Red Bull was like, we don't need to have Max slow Leclerc down for you at all. We think that would be a bad idea. Oh, don't even get right. Is that no? Are we going there? <laughs> uh, not not yet. Well, look, okay, we're here now, aren't we? We're here now. 
in Abu Dhabi 2021. Sorry, I said it. Everybody spin around three times, drink a shot, spit on the floor, uh, cleanse your souls. In Abu Dhabi 21, everyone do it again. Sergio Perez parked it underneath the hotel and into the final sector and just completely just held up Lewis Hamilton. And that was a factor in why Mercedes couldn't be ultra comfortable and do exactly what they wanted to do in terms of pit stops and take an extra stop. Come on, Catman. Could not Max Verstappen have just slowed down seven seconds, held Leclerc up through a few sectors. That Red Bull's a rocket ship. So yeah, you've got DRS, but slow you down through the hotel section, disappear in sectors one and two, and then slow down again back through to the hotel. Yeah, if you really want to defend like Hamilton did against Rosberg at Abu Dhabi, it can be done. But for me, what Max said was he said, I'll quote, it's not fair racing. I think it's not the nicest way going out of the season like that. Oh, I've got things to say about that. Yeah, I think everybody does. Antonio, you say them. Um, well, <laughs> um, I, I just think as... As has been made exceptionally clear by Verstappen, he's not in the way of influencing a result in the favour of someone else at the sacrifice to himself. That's what it comes down to. And I will say it's exceptionally common in almost all racing drivers. Like I said earlier, they are by nature egocentric because they have to be. Verstappen wouldn't have done something to sacrifice his own race in any way in order to benefit Checo, which... You know, you can say what you want about it, but it's exceptionally common and it is in a way understandable. You oh. know, it comes it comes back to the whole team orders thing, how all drivers hate team orders. Don't get me wrong. There's a difference between doing your teammate a favor and then, you know, straight up ruining your own race for whatever reason. Oh. But he has made exceptionally clear <laughs> that, that he's not mm. in the business of doing that. And, and no driver would ever do that, would they, Catman? Senna letting Gerhard Berger win in the McLarens. Yep. Lewis Hamilton, Hamilton pulling over to give Bottas have a podium. Yep. Oh. I'm sure Max had his reasons. He won't tell us them. No. <laughs> no, It's it just seems exceptionally poor after, as Perez said, after all the things he's done for him, once again, he's just not able to help him win. Although, as Trumpets has pointed out before, to actually have won the 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 tie or the the, the vice champion as a uh, no Sam Bird called no it. Sam Bird you're really good on BBC <laughs> F1 commentary but vice champion isn't a thing so to get the vice champion position even with the Brazil thing he would have still had to get the fastest lap today and as Antonio said that didn't even seem to be on their radar today Lando got that sorry Antonio you were trying to get in before um I just I just think with this whole debate. You know, we can say what we want and we can speculate all we like about what's going on behind (laughs) scenes between teammates. You know, we can say anything we like, but when it comes down to it, our business is with the drivers on track and what we see on track. Don't get me wrong. The dynamic between them will completely change on the paddock, away from the paddock. You know, as we saw with all the drivers getting together with their cute little last supper, you know, but (laughs) our business as the fans, I'm a very strong believer in this, is not with the little drama going on with their bickering, you know, in the motorhome. It's on track. That's all. And uh, as Kevin Clark on The Ringer pointed out earlier, Matt, they've now got Daniel Ricciardo in their pocket as a shut the hell up, do what you're told. Oh, no, he's just for he's just here for show runs. Uh, but, you know, if we at least we have him, we have him. He's there. 
<laughs> yes. Well, um, before I divert this, I think Catman wants to get in, but I do want to get back to why I still think Ferrari was more good than Lucky and to do it by looking at Vettel's right. race a bit. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Let's have Catman's uh, last thing then on the Verstappen not helping out. Oh, I just wanted to say about Ricardo going to uh, yeah. Red Bull. You know, that that's fantastic because now they have a legitimate excuse as to why their catering department is overspending because they're paying him millions of pounds to do donuts. <laughs> well, well, you will be. He'll be doing a lot of show stuff. Um, <laughs> do you know what? If Ricardo thinks his F1 career is genuinely on a pause for a year, it's a good little gig, isn't it? It's a good little gig for a year. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's, um, he's not going hungry. Uh, at Red Bull. Uh, good. I'm glad, Matt, that you were talking about uh, what went wrong with Vettel because that probably does really illustrate, and, and it was a very handy not-to guide, wasn't it, for anybody watching. You go, well, what? why did uh, Leclerc's work out? Why Why didn't Perez's quite work out? Um, look at Vettel, and you can see the, the what not to do. Obviously, we have hindsight, but I definitely wouldn't have done that if I was an F1 strategist. Definitely no. not. Yeah. Uh, we could start by simply looking what his teammate on a standard two-stop strategy did do. And Vettel would have been entirely within his rights to have stopped around then. Ocon stopped around then. Norris stopped around then. Uh, I forget who else. Alonso stopped around then. All the rest of the midfield stopped between lap 15 and like 18 or so. But not Vettel. Vettel kept on going. Like Leclerc, he was far up the field. And you're like, yes, this is it. Then Leclerc comes in and he keeps on going. And the next thing you know... He's driving backwards with all his might, and you're like, oh, this is just not going to end well. So the biggest point to me is that Leclerc stopped at the end of lap 21, headed into lap 22. Vettel, four laps later, he easily lost two places on track as a result of that, came out in 19th place on his tires. And I think the time that he lost in those four laps, plus coming back 19th, just absolutely killed any fun he was going to have in today's race. No, I mean, what Vettel himself said about being a sitting duck was completely correct. I mean, and and looking back on it, it does seem like a strategic blunder that was a bit too difficult to make, as in, I have no idea why they didn't pit him a couple of laps earlier, because, you know, it's not like there weren't other drivers setting the example of what to do. You know, they've got all of the data in front of them. So why did they leave him out for so long? It just, it seemed very illogical, especially when you've got a four-time world champion on the radio to you going, this is a bad idea, guys. You you do want to listen, surely. I think they were waiting for Latifi to help them, possibly. But um, yeah, the other thing as well, Trumpets, is that um, once they had pitted him, he had a lot of work to do because he came out in P19 after dropping off the cliff at the end of his first stint. So trying to preserve your tyres on a one-stop strategy is not going to work if you have to overtake most of the field. Yes. Well, the thing that I love most about these scenarios is it lets me play with numbers and talk about them a lot which is, I know, Spanner's favorite thing in the world. Yeah, because but I'm I can have a bit of a break. I'm going to TLDR this thing and say that I just looked at the, the gap from lap 22 to lap 26, where Vettel stayed on his hards and, and, and um, Leclerc had switched. In that time, in real life, Vettel lost seven and a half seconds to Russell and about nine seconds to Verstappen. And I estimated that had he stopped at the same time as Leclerc, which was the earliest you could stop. 
Lap 29 was about the latest they suggested. So he really did stop kind of in the middle of the window. And that might have just been asked and projecting how long they thought that tire would last. But how long they thought the tire would last and how long Vettel could make it last in a race where everything really mattered might be two slightly different numbers. So had he done that, come in with a Leclerc, I estimate he would have lost 3.2 seconds to Russell versus the seven and a half seconds. And that alone would have had him fighting with Ocon and Norris and uh, at the end of the race with them having to pass him instead of vice versa, him trying to catch Ricardo. But going back to what you said about, you know, the, the, the tires, surely improvise, adapt, overcome really comes into play here where, yeah, you can expect tires to last however long you want to expect them to last. But if they are not there and if your driver is on the radio complaining to you not doing well, you know, surely you take action. I mean, you know, you can compare it to kind of, you know, Lando in Sochi where he's out on the track, it's clearly all going to poo and it's not working but you know Lando was on the radio saying no please leave me out please leave me out you know whereas Seb was doing the opposite he was saying please this is wrong I'm losing position after position after position you know it was it was almost like they were waiting for him to already be at the back of the field before they then went oh god get in get in quick you know it just seemed so reactive but so delayed reactive. Wait a minute. Did you just quote Clint Eastwood in Heartbreak Ridge there? Improvise, adapt and overcome. That's I good... thought that was Bear Grylls. <laughs> Johnny come lately. Everyone go watch Heartbreak Ridge after this. Yeah, after this. Uh, I think it's at nine o'clock. No, so I lied. So I can't tell time. Matt, that's also yeah. a reference from Heartbreak Ridge, by the way. Improvise, adapt. But... Yeah, it's very clear the amount of time he lost in this four laps cost him. And if you don't believe that math, well, he was about, Leclerc lost 17 seconds to Perez over the course of the two stop. And looking at the same numbers for Vettel, if we give him those same 17 seconds, it would have been 18 seconds, really. He would have finished 54 seconds behind Verstappen, which would have put him right between Norris and Ocon. So even if we didn't do the really smart thing and just put him on Stroll's two-stop strategy, which would have seen him far and away, I think, winning that battle of the midfield, even a one-stop could have worked better had Aston just been a little more flexible in their application or quicker to recognize when mm. things weren't going to their particular plan. Who, who mentioned Le Tifi whilst I was repairing my lighting for the fourth time in the show? Sorry, Did make he, another 21 reference. Well, no, you were saying, obviously, everyone was waiting for the Latifi safety car. Had a little <laughs> bit of a, a heart murmur when oh. I suddenly saw Latifi spun out with a Haas. And you go, no, 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 it can't be. It can't be in the script that there's a Latifi cause, uh, caused safety car. And in the end, I mean, we don't need to play whose fault is it for this, but don't worry, we will. <laughs> in the end, Schumacher's just tagged him and turned around. But I think the whole F1 community just went, no, we're not accepting this as our reality, Matt. Yeah, well, Weezy in our chat makes an excellent point that that one decision easily cost Aston Martin $5 million and a full place in the championship as it is because Vettel did not get round Ricardo. They finished behind Alfa Romeo. If he finished one place up the road. They finished level on points, didn't they? But it was that they had a slightly better finishing position in the races overall, which is such a shame. 
versus a P6, I think. Yeah, the Calpac was who had the highest race finish position. But this this just shows, though, how every single decision made on and off track matters, because I think teams under underestimate just how important every minor decision is. You know, with with a battle like this, where Alfa Romeo ended up skyrocketing through the constructors' standings by the end of the race, it was unimaginable that that could happen. But it, the smallest decision has cost, you know, various teams massively. You know, like deciding to drive over a sausage curb in the first lap instead of staying on track. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. Hold your horses. Oh, hi there. Uh, I'm Spanners from Miss Apex Podcast. Sorry to interrupt, but I just thought I'd let you know what we're doing or remind you uh, what we're doing. We're looking to do a tech season review uh, during the week. I'm I'm off camping through Spain, so I will be unavailable, but Matt Two Rumpets will sit down with the assistant. What's his title, Matt? The assistant deputy editor? No, the assistant to the deputy chief welding person. I just call him technical editor at motorsport.com. He's very good. He's the best tech guy in Formula One, Matthew Summerfield. He's going to be joining us here in the shed for a season review, and I'm sure they'll be looking for uh, looking at the, the tech that is going to be translatable to next season as well. And then on Sunday, we're going to do our our season review and we've got a bunch of topics we want to talk about, but we also want to give you guys a chance to, uh, to call in. So what we're going to do is in our patron Slack group, we're going to share the Zoom link to the call and we'll, we'll let you come on. Uh, we're going to let you come on audio only. I think it's too risky to do video because I've got a feeling we'd see an awful lot of butt cheeks if we opened up the video. So we're just doing audio only uh, and, and opening that just to our patrons to start with because it is something that I want to do going forward. So you can dictate the direction and the questions are that we will be answering and the topics we'll be addressing on our season review. And that is next Sunday. And then throughout the off season, uh, we're going to be doing a bunch of, of segment shows, bringing you interviews interesting talking points and topics as well and we're just going to go for one show a week throughout the off season and i have to say it's one of my favorite parts uh, of the of the podcasting season because we are not held to the drumbeat of the the races and the formula one news and it's a time where people can get really creative and it's a time where interesting people have time off to be able to talk to the likes of us so uh stick with us at mr apex podcast subscribe to us on youtube please click subscribe and the little bell so that you'll know when we go live and subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice and if you think we're worthy you can join us on our patreon channel patreon.com forward slash missed apex ad free feed there's some extra bonus content and join us in our patron slack group as well one of the things that held perez up actually matt was lewis hamilton i think maybe getting a little bit of payback for abu dhabi 2021 everybody turn around touch the ground spit drink a a a, a a glug of mother's ruin um but i think hamilton would have got a little bit of satisfaction in probably being one of the differences the key factors in why perez couldn't get up front uh, but apart from that it was pretty miserable for mercedes given that they had the core pace there they sacrificed qualifying for race pace and apart from verstappen hamilton even with floor damage or not on the lap times really looked like he was he was keeping pace well, this to me is like the most curious of stories. As far as qualifying goes, yes, they set up for the race. But let's also remember Mercedes has never been great at 
generating tire temperatures for one lap efforts. And the track was pretty cool Saturday night when they qualified. So I can't say that I was surprised. And I always thought they would have the pace to to certainly tangle with Ferrari as they did, but maybe even push push forward to a podium or or to bothering Red Bull before, you know, um at least Perez kind of self-destructed his own race a bit. But we didn't really get to see it because of the lap one incident and Hamilton driving over the sausage curb, which I believe he said broke the floor. But what's weird about it is that in his second stint, that pace came back until the car itself just munched its gears. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree. Hamilton really seems to have good pace this weekend. And then, of course, after the sausage curb incident, that was a little bit drawn back. But I do want to use this, actually, to kind of open up a bit of a discussion about these sausage curbs. Because they have certainly been a hot topic this season. You know, with cars launching through the air to, yeah, floor damage. I mean, the question is there... Hamilton didn't particularly have anywhere to go after running off. So it wasn't as though the sausage cubs had were there to deter him. They were more a punishment for an unavoidable excursion, per se. Question. But question for you, unavoidable. Antonio. Question. Well, hang on a minute and we'll oh, get goodness. there. We'll get to that one. Question for Antonio, because you wrongly disagreed with me on something like eight race reviews ago. <laughs> okay, so where do sausage curbs mainly occur? On, on what on type corners. of what type of corners do they mainly s- chicanes? They are mainly there oh, as disincentive to chicanes. Again. So once again, I will posit to you, Antonia Rankin, uh, a- Antonia F one on F one Antonia F one Antonia on TikTok. You'll get it Quick one day. You'll get it one day. Follow the links in the show notes below. All very entertaining. <laughs> However, you were wrong. I oppose this to you again, Antonia. We should, uh, we I should, will never back down from we this. Should I'm ban, sorry. We should ban all chicanes and, and just replace them all with normal corners or straights. No, in the most disrespectful way possible, you are wrong. <laughs> because chicanes make our sport... You can laugh. No, chicanes make our sport safe. They make our tracks raceable. Without, without chicanes... I would say a good few of the circuits that we have would just be so dangerously fast. You know, even if we're talking about the kind of not chicanes, like, you know, maggots and beckets on on (gasps) Silverstone. You can't call maggots and beckets a chicane? Okay, F1 defines a chicane as a series of turns, one following another. I'm sorry, Maggots, Beckett's and Chapel in my head does come into that. However, oh, aside sorry, from Catman, that, sorry about this. without just... chicanes, so many of our circuits wouldn't be drivable. I'm aware how unpopul- unpopular they are because, yes, all we want to see as fans is cars go broom really quick, yeah, right? Broom quick However, moving us back to sausage curbs, <laughs> Hang on, can Matt they just are there get in on as punishments. <laughs> Matt, just get on chicanes quickly. We'll go back to sausage curbs. Sorry, Antonia. I got to say, I'm loving the fact that you know the FIA official definition of a chicane. I would argue that their usefulness is entirely down to the minimum speed through which one can drive them. For example, maggots, beckets, I don't have a problem with. However, there are other ones that I would happily see the backside of. Okay. And just to say, there is a long list of tracks that could be improved by getting rid of chicane. So obviously Imola, that is a disgusting chicane in Sector 3. That's just the worst. Monza, get rid of all the chicanes and make it basically an a oval. Uh, a we, death trap. Yeah, and Montreal Barcelona. as well. Yeah, Montreal. Just let Montreal be, a, yeah, be, be an oval as well. Anyway, I apologise. I just wanted Matt to get that point in. Uh, sausage curbs, Antonia. 
Well, the reason I mentioned Magus and Beckett's is because with this generation of Formula One cars, and at least for the last few years or so, they have been able to take it pretty much flat out. It's more just so that their foot isn't flat to the floor in eighth gear for about three kilometres. But anyway, I digress. These sausage curves on the chicanes, I, I don't know why they're there. You know, the drivers aren't normally cutting corners. You can whack a track limits in there if you're that determined to not let the driver go off. However, having drivers launching into the air, severely damaging their yeah, car's no potential. Fun. Obviously, today wasn't severe for Hamilton. It was just a bit of a pain, potentially. But I, I, I will advocate that there must be a better way. Surely. Well, right off the bat, empirical evidence suggests that the sausage curb did not prevent Hamilton from cutting that chicane anyway and gaining a position on signs. Illegally, according to the stewards. Uh, do, we, do we need to play a game? Is and, that, and is this, oh gosh, here we go. Matt, finish your point and then I'll press the button. And, and so I've never liked them as a punishment for the drivers. They're, they're too, they do too much damage. They cause too many problems. I would like a different solution, please. Although right now I'll tell you, I'm not even sure what uh, that is. Morgan is saying wall. We should just put a wall instead of the sausage curb on chicanes. And I'm with that. The annoying is that thing. that not just Monaco? Well, the annoying thing about chicanes is the fact that we always have this, oh, one person got forced off. And, and yeah, there we go. The Monaco, the, the nouveau chicane after the bridge, that one can definitely go burn. Like I've, That seems like one of the most obvious ways to improve Monaco. I'm not even going down that road. But anyway, yes. Every chicane can have a wall instead of a sausage curb, and that will solve a lot of stuff. It won't solve the question of... Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Oh, it's completely uncontroversial. I think this one should be fairly straightforward. Carlos Sainz uh, dives down the inside of, of Lewis Hamilton from a fairly, uh, fairly long way back. Um, seems to do enough to hold the corner, but goes all the way out to the edge. Lewis Hamilton has to go off and, and hit the sausage curb. Carlos Sainz is investigated for forcing a car off of the track, is found to have not done so. Lewis Hamilton is investigated for gaining an advantage from going off track and is found to have done so and is asked to return the place back to Carlos Sainz. So, Antonio's got a hand up. Whose fault is it? Um, Right. I, I will start this off by saying I think it's very interesting how self-policed this is <laughs> with the giving the place back. I I just I think it's very interesting. Aside from I'm not going to open up the whose fault is it debate because I don't think what, I have what, a, whoa, 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 that's a meaning. The... No, 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 I, I'm aware. I'm, aware. I, I'm, I'm, bri- I'm briefly, briefly segueing because I, I feel as though this is an important <laughs> okay, 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 conversation on, topic. I I think that aside from whose fault it was, the fact that this was self-policed negates whose fault it was with not being necessarily asked to give back the place. Because what the, I thought the wording on the radio message was interesting. We've been told to give the place back to signs because they're not really doing that anymore. But my, my point with this is, I don't think it matters whose fault it was because the drivers kind of sorted it out between themselves and then went on their way. Yeah, I think, yes, yeah, I think you've got a fair point there in that Lewis Hamilton left the track rather than, than holding position. So it would have been a, a, an easier whose fault is it if Hamilton had just decided to stay on the track and signs had clattered into him, then we could have applied these new rules. Catman. Uh, very briefly, just need to defend the format a little bit, Spanners. I'm surprised you haven't gone to uh, the fact that if just because if I buy my wife some flowers after a missed discretion doesn't mean it wasn't my fault. Um, 
But so, so therefore, you know, okay, I think the, the format like, uh, still stands. Got some experience there. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's absolutely the fault of the new regulations rather than either of the drivers, because unfortunately, the rules were applied correctly in this situation, but the rules are bump. They're rubbish. Uh, this is very much like how dare we paint white lines on a pitch to decide what's out of bounds in a football match. I mean, really, the rules are the rules. And under those rules, Carlos Sainz made a legal pass on Lewis Hamilton, left him enough room, which I personally disagree with definitionally, but under the current definition, no, no, there you was don't, enough you, room. No, no, you don't have to leave him room. This is under the current definitions. If you're ahead yeah. at the apex, and we'll get to what oh. that is, you don't actually have to leave him room. You can just go to the edge. Ridiculous. You were both right, yeah. but Sainz actually did leave oh, enough did. room for okay. Lewis Hamilton's tires to sure. be on the track surface as he took that corner. And then Lewis, knowing that he was nothing but, you know, destined for the dog food can at the next corner, <laughs> opted to drive up and over the sausage curb, which terminally, ultimately, I think, although it's not confirmed, damaged his car and saw him retire from the race and also cost him any chance of being competitive in that first stint for reasons that we're going to put down to a broken floor, but may have been slightly more complex could have because been, his pace did come back. It could have been psychosomatic. And they also pointed to the fact that he had depleted his engine, uh, his battery, trying to, and I'm sure we can get an explanation of, of that, of, of trying to defend and attack Carlos Sainz. Uh, Antonia? I, yeah, I think maybe it could be argued that Hamilton's perhaps just used to a bit more of an aggressive attacking stance and he kind of dove off track almost preempting something more aggressive than actually came he was expecting to have no room got out of the way and then went oh actually i would have been fine uh i I actually think it was a little bit more more cynical than that i think catman might be agreeing with me or shall i go with it no okay so uh, i i think that in that situation he was basically hoping that under the new rules he'd got to the apex first and that he would be a judge to have been forced off therefore could kind of skip the corner and keep it like he did in in abu dhabi 2021 sorry everyone i know there's a lot of spit on the floor and everyone's drunk now Uh, but the rules are are that little bit different now where they make this definition of when you get to the apex which is a little bit vague and we had a lot of terrible uh, screenshots and drawings in our whatsapp group Uh, but i think most people are saying that it is basically from the inside apex of the corner to the equivalent outside apex of the corner you have a little imaginary line and if you're ahead at that then you basically have more right to the corner I know a lot of people might have been wondering whether that apex line then kind of goes at a 90 degree angle to the straight. So it's basically the point in the straight. So at the end of the braking zone, if you get to the point of of the apex and you're ahead, that's when it's a judge to have been. Uh, but, you know, very, very hard to tell in that moment for a driver. So perhaps Hamilton gambled Catman that that he was ahead and that he could kind of feign, oh, I was forced off. Therefore, I go off and I keep my place. Had he kept his wheels on, then he was waiting for a decision on Carlos Sainz. And in that time, he was going to get swallowed up by Leclerc and by Russell. His only, his only way of really staying ahead of the cars behind was to cut the track. I think Hamilton's played the referee a little bit. Absolutely. And he didn't give the position back until he was absolutely forced yeah. to, which is what they do. You know, they try and do these things. And then if they get a five second penalty, they just blast five seconds up the road because that's easier to do than overtaking yeah. somebody. 
I think was it you spanners on Twitter earlier who said what would be wrong with making them leave space for the other person yes. all the time? Yeah. If there's somebody alongside you, leave them space. How yeah. hard would that be? That's what I try and do when I'm racing against people. I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but I have fun. Why could we not do that? I do not want to slam the FIA because they have made some rules that we can at least play along with and interpret. I would say the first thing to do would be to draw a line on every apex just go around with a bit of chalk on every apex and just draw a line where where is this line you magically have to be ahead by in order to be given the corner um but just because they've made some rules and and we're not loving it because i think in this scenario matt what it does allow is very very deep and late lunges so you can really just go for it go for this imaginary line and then just slam the anchors on and hope you can make it and and in, when you do that you do it from that far back it's impossible for someone you know to get a, a switch back because there's there's a, a skidding locked up car to your, to your inside um but we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. having some definition of the rules i'm enjoying no we don't want to do that and to be fair i went back and watched multiple times both hamilton's and signs on boards and what struck me about this is that from Hamilton's point of view, and, and I think when I said definitionally, I would like the car, if the car is on the inside, to be you as a driver on the outside need to have four wheels on a flat surface. Maybe not all four wheels inside the white lines, but if there's a sausage curb, you need to be able to make that corner. And and with none of your wheels being forced onto that sausage curb. That didn't happen here. That said, Hamilton and Sainz both lifted off the throttle at the 100-meter mark. Hamilton downshifted more quickly and left what I would call a New York gentleman <laughs> driver's, like I can see the bumper of the car ahead of me going into the turn. Sainz got on the brakes much later and therefore beat Hamilton to any definition of an apex that you would care to enforce. And it would sure be nice if they would come up with a mathematical definition of it so that we could have even more things to argue about. Paint the line. Paint the line. Yeah. I mean, is it is the apex defined by the car or is the apex defined by a mathematical section of the track and the midpoint thereof? This is what I would like to know. Yeah, whilst I'm sure it would be incredibly interesting to see cars sprinting towards the line and then just immediately ramming on the brakes. And, you know, dive bombs are, to my karting standards at least, very valid forms of overtaking. <laughs> I do think your your point about the sausage curbs is a really interesting one. May, you know, Hamilton would know full well that Sainz was probably going to take him into that corner and he probably would have envisioned his two wheels just creeping up onto that sausage curb at the next turn. And we could have seen him launched a little bit into the air, you know, and being squeezed even more, knowing that it had he not run off of the track, that he would have had even less space or would have had to fully concede the position. Yep, so going to your wall idea, what happens if there's a wall there? Whose fault is it then? They hit the wall, Catman. Or they hit each other, and then whose fault is it? The, I, then, we ha- then we get to play the game, but with a wall involved. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was what, the wall's fault. Or you could have a, like, do you remember when Vettel went, uh, went long in, uh, into turn one and completely missed it at Monza, and he just went through all those polystyrene things that you were meant to dodge around? We could just have layers of that. So your penalty depends on how many layers of polystyrene 
you hear. It's five seconds if you go through the first one, 10 seconds if you go through two. I've thought this through completely, like last week when I said the idea about the lap cars going to the back and then dumping one lap worth of fuel. I, 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 my ideas are brilliant. I, I think I win, in fact. Yeah, didn't, can... they, didn't they? Sorry, didn't there used to be a game show where you would have to like strike a pose to fit through the wall in a certain way? <laughs> yes. Bring on the wall. Bring on that? the wall. Yeah. yeah it was, was hosted by like Anton Dubeck or something. If we just post him at every every would be sausage go. curb and have a series of polystyrene walls that have a car shape through yep. them, and they have to I think that sideways. could really liven things up a little bit. It could do. Well, there we go, Matt. I think we've uh, solved that and derailed the show. Uh, we covered Vettel, which is is good, but apart from the the retirement element of it, and uh, I think we're going to reserve that for an off season show. Uh, but he did have some quite adventures against uh, Alpine. I put Vettel versus Alpine in the notes. I think it was funny, touching, but also weird that Alonso clearly could have made a move on Vettel and just decided to sit on his his rear bumper. And I think your Ocon was told to pit effectively to release Vettel and Alonso. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, as I've mentioned in, in private chats in the past, there have been three times already this season that I've seen Ocon fairly ahead of Alonso on track and held out while Alonso undercuts him, then makes up the pit delta and is then therefore ahead of him for the rest of the race. But in this case, I think I think that his tires were were pretty done. He came in after Perez and and sort of in in if you're Ocon and you want to get Norris, you're going to have to undercut him. And he came in before Norris. Norris responded to that. So I think Alpine was actually playing Ocon as their as their point person here in this particular race. And the the benefit of that for his Vettel was that he then was allowed to race a few more laps um, and, and gain some time back, although too many laps, if still you ask me. Well, okay. I think we've, uh, we've, we've covered tick the box of Matt gets to talk about Ocon. There we go. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Is it more? No, because, because of Alonso's retirement in this race, guess who won the teammate battle? <laughs> this year at Alpine. Which proves that Ocon is much, much better than Alonso, I'm sure. He becomes Alonso's third teammate to win a season on points for whatever reason, and the only teammate at Instone ever to beat him. So, so, yeah, whatever, retirements. Yeah, I know Alonso was scoring 27 points today if he'd not retired. Yes, I've heard it all before. But I'm just going to simply say, not a bad showing from Ocon, regardless. Didn't you hear this was Alonso's best ever drive? We just didn't get any points. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So who else beat uh, Fernando Alonso then? Uh, Lewis Hamilton destroyed him by half a point in 2007. Yeah. Who else? And I think we have to go to Catman for this one. The history buff, it was Tarso Marquez back in his first season in 2001 at Minardi beat him. Are you kidding? Is there that really go. the stat? That is the stat. He should have. Uh, he should have not been allowed to continue after being beaten by Tarso Marquez. At Catman F One on Twitter and our Quizmaster, we've got some quiz shenanigans lined up for the off season. Do you think? Absolutely. Although I, I've kind of spent my Vettel one earlier on in the year, so I'm going to have to think of something That's else true. to do. I, Maybe a, a Latifi quiz. I I am retiring from the Missed Apex F One quizzes. I am. I'm fed up of propping up the table. And all I do is basically cause the equivalent of safety cars by flustering and fluttering and pressing the wrong buttons. And Matt usually comes second last, so don't be all smug. 
No, I'm going to say we're like we're literally like the Latifi versus whoever battle of the F1 quiz. Yeah. Like, which one of us will score the least points? So, so what I think to make it a good program, me and Matt will present it and and do the links. And, and we'll actually have some decent contestants for you, Catman, who, because frankly, your questions are wasted on the likes of me. If you'd have asked me who beat Alonso apart from, uh, apart from Ocon and Hamilton, I would not have remembered that name. No, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think it'd be my fault that I just can't fix the questions enough for you. You just need to bribe me a little bit more next time. Spell F1. Uh, I can't. I'm, I'm having to remember which buttons to press for the quiz. Uh, go, and follow, the go and follow Catman at Catman F1. Uh, but I know you've done a little table for us, Catman. 87 drivers were racing their last race with their current team. Uh, let's have a little bit of a rundown of who we're not seeing again or who is moving teams. Yeah, at the end of a season, it's always a little bit sad to see people leaving. And obviously, Sebastian Vettel is probably the first one that you'd want to come to. And and as you said, we're probably going to do a whole show on that, or at least a good section on that. So I won't necessarily uh, kind of go to him uh, in detail. But, you know, he did, as you would expect at the beginning of the season, smash Stroll a little bit uh, with a 37-point to 18 uh in terms of how oh. many he scored at the end of the year. Oh, you've year. done so that, these kind of stats. Oh, you've done oh, actually like stats. a real yes. table. Okay, let's do it. Okay, let's yeah. settle in. Settle big in. tables. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. get to colour it in. I didn't have quite <laughs> enough time, but, you know, greens and reds would have worked. But interestingly, they both had the same best finish. So they both finished sixth. Um, that was the highest that they scored. Although, as I say, I think Vettel could have done well today if they hadn't stuffed the strategy. Oh, well, I tell you what, with Stroll, if it, I, the sixth that he got, was that, I, I can't remember now, but was that a somewhat attrition based race was it one where cars were going off left right and center it was at singapore so yeah it yeah. Was, um, oh yeah yeah, yeah. so Veth, uh, stroll is really good at those races and i think like the podiums you've got he's got he's been a, a, that does take skill that means that he was driving within his limits where others weren't and that is that is the only way i ever get results in karting or sim racing so i'm certainly not going to slate that tactic yeah absolutely and you know drive that being said let's not take it away from him his stroll is also very good in those being in the right place at the right time for the interchangeable conditions so with his pole position last year and that sort of thing it's it's always his tactic to try and make the the odd races work for him and, and fair play to him but let's not forget also that vettel at the beginning of the season missed two races due to covid uh so that means that hulkenberg finished 22nd in a 20 driver championship nice all right, yeah. cool. Who, who else are we saying goodbye to? Saying goodbye, obviously, to Daniel Ricciardo, oh, possibly. Yes. Yeah, maybe yeah, for yeah. a little while until they get bored of Perez or he has a fight with Jos Verstappen and they start so, to come so, back. So by, by Barcelona. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. This is even more one-sided. So you've got Lando finishing on 122 points with a, a, a clear victory compared to 37 <sighs> That is rough. For Daniel, that that, that's rough. a beating. Oh. That is an absolute beating. And the qualifying battle was 20 to 2 as well. So, oh, yeah. you know, we all had uh, Daniel's kind of problems just all over the news the whole year. But I don't know if Red Bull would want to take him back into a race seat because realistically, unless the the type of car changes, I'm not sure that Daniel's mm. shown he can adapt his driving style to fix to it. So as much as I love Daniel, I, I do think that might well be the last we see of him. So we are getting into season review territory slightly here, Cam mm. Man. So just say like, who, who else did we, who else did we, who are we losing? We're losing uh, Latifi? Yep. Oh, well, Sh- Latifi, Schumacher. again, got smashed by him. Uh, yeah, Schumacher as well. He's most likely off into the distance, probably sports cars somewhere. Um, 
And that's about it. Gasly's off to Alpine, of course. And Alonso uh, is off Alonso. to destroy Aston Martin. Yeah, despite having should have already retired already, considering he started before Vettel. See, now people are going to blame Alpine for being having poor reliability. But the fact of the matter is, Alonso was 11th and Stroll was 10th when he had to stop racing. And I think they were just doing him a favor, <laughs> keeping him from having a crash with his new teammate before the next season started. It could be Alonso pulled over to, to make sure Vettel got a point. Oh, that's what Hamilton did. Wasn't it nice of yeah, him to retire was, his car yeah, so that Vettel could get a point in his final race? <laughs> uh, all right, guys, I think we're getting to the business end of the race review. So why don't we give out some awards on our podium? Well, I tell you what, say what you like about Michael Massey, but the, uh, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is a lot quieter without him. It did kind of whimper and fizzle out. It really, if you want to say boring, it was a it was a, a slightly less exciting style of Grand Prix. I think the tactics there really do highlight the fact that Pirelli, I really hope they just come with a step softer and, and I hope we forgive them if there's the odd, you know, time that tyres go off a cliff or, or everyone runs out of tyres. I think the one the one stop, when people can just hang on for that one stop, it does create a slightly less thrilling kind of race because when there's an incentive to go very slowly to preserve your tires uh, and to make a one-stop work because the pit delta is high enough to do that I, I don't think that's a you know a thrill what we want to see is people being able to bolt on new tires and go for it and hunt people down in the way Perez did in fact that's that's what we want to see next season per, uh, Pirelli and, and, I, and I'm sure it's within their gift to give it is let's have more opportunity like in 2021 and 2020 for, for people to do that late pit stop and go and hunt. Uh, and that's what we like seeing at the conclusion of Formula One races. And don't blame me if they do that and then tyres start exploding everywhere like Silverstone 2013. But we are going to give out uh, a couple of awards. So the first award is a good thing award. Okay, we get to be all positive and lovely and nice. And who is the most positive and nice and lovely person on the Missed Apex crew? It is genuinely Catman F1, Chris Turner. You are the only grown-up, really, in the room at Missed Apex Podcast. I say you're a proper adult uh, and a very, very... He's a very nice man, listeners. And you should go and follow him at Catman F1 on Twitter. That's nice of you to say so yeah. until you come to my Missed Apex Awards. So. Yeah, and then you have to be mean. Yeah, but who yeah. who uh, who did the good thing for you? Well, I mean, I'm sure someone else is going to say Sebastian Vettel, so I won't take that one off them. I'm going to say Lando Norris because he did a great start. He's been awesome all season, and he's just been consistently the the best performer outside of the top three teams. Uh, and he's shown up his teammate as we just talked about. Yeah, a lot. Give him a good car. And he could do wonders with it. Uh, and as I do wonder if there's some bitterness kind of building up because, like I say, the crop that he came through with, Leclerc has has had his chance at a title already. Russell's gone on to win a race. Albon had a shot at a top team. Uh, obviously, Verstappen is was, was a little ahead of him, but similar kind of age. He, he must be looking around at his peers going, what, what, when's it me? What, why am I dribbling around You know, the midfield? Exactly. Although there is something to be said for being a lifer at a team you know he's he's nailed into that team he's gonna be there for for hundreds of years it's a good solid uh good good solid 
career. Which path, driver? Say. Here's a fact for you. Then you might not know this one. Which driver has spent the most years at uh, F1 team? I'm acting mm, as if I know. I don't know. But I'm, just saying, I'm going for Barrichello at Ferrari. He was there a long time. Quite possibly. All right. You know, send, send your emails to feedback at mistapex.net. Do you know what? It might actually be Lewis at Mercedes. He's been there for years. It might well be him. No way. That would be mad. Mm, All be. right, cool. In that case, a more good thing awards. Antonia Rankin, you do the TikToks. You haven't given up on that. You're still doing that? Still going strong, you yeah. You have a lot of followers on there as well. Is it followers on TikTok or...? Yeah, I have like at least six. No, you have Last time I got checked. tens of thousands of followers and your trajectory is only going up. And, uh, and unlike a lot of the TikTok people, you actually do sit down and do breakdowns of strategy and tech explainers as well. And you get a lot of comments and interaction on there. So I hope you're, you're not on the verge of giving that up. No, don't worry. I'll be on TikTok to spam the for you pages as long as possible. <laughs> I understood all of that terminology. Uh, follow the links in the show notes. Uh, so if you're on your phone, just like scroll up and down and around. If you're on YouTube, it's below and you can find Antonia's TikTok straight away. Who uh, had the good thing award for you? See, I, I would say Vettel, but I, f- I feel like that's a bit predictable. Um, you can have two, because I think we're all in I'll, that I'll kind have of two then. I'll steal two. Yeah, obviously, Seb. I, I grew up watching Seb. I'm an 03 baby, so I'm just stop saying old that. enough. What, what, I said, said you no, stop. I said no. stop saying. <laughs> not allowed to make me feel that old. Stop saying when you were born out loud. I've, we have discussed that. Come on. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm an 03 baby, and... Um, I've I've grown up watching Seb, so seeing him retire had me with tears flooding down my cheeks. So you don't um, know F1 without Sebastian Vettel? No, not at mm. all. It was a similar situation with Kimi last year. You know, I'm, this one hits a bit closer to home, but no, love, love Seb so much. Very sad to see him go. Great send-off. But um, I was actually going to say Charles Leclerc. I, I don't think I've ever been so pleased to see someone kind of get second in a championship, you know, after being so far ahead at the start of the season where everyone was going, oh, there's no way Max can catch up. And yeah, then it was done. Max <laughs> it was obviously did. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think it was really nice actually to see Charles get second, you know, it, in in maybe not so splendid a way, but I was very pleased to see it and good for him. Chris? I just wanted to gush a little bit more about Sebastian Vettel because such a wonderful person. Did you see, there's a few things that I wanted to to point out to the listeners. First of all, uh, his daddy Norbert uh, came into the garage this weekend with his first ever karting suit and hung it on the wall. And there was a very lovely moment. And then during the middle of the race, they panned to... Uh, his tyres, and he'd written on the tyres around the, the the side wall all of his mechanics' names on there uh, to go along with the ones that were on his helmet. He's just such a lovely guy, and and he stands up for for more than he is worth, and stands up for the people who can't stand up for themselves. And it's such a lovely thing to see someone using their platform to do good. And we will miss him greatly yeah but apart from work tirelessly to save the planet and promote the rights of all people to to express their love all over the world what's he done what what else has he well, done uh, i mean he smashed into hamilton in baku a couple of years ago so sod him off you go love <laughs> no i mean aside from the four world championships and the so nearly fifth what what a stand-up guy to have on the grid you know he's not only had such a huge impact on the sport but really advocated for such important issues and he's been so vocal and you know 
really just a genuine, genuine loss for the sport. And I, I really do sincerely hope that he sticks around to some degree because he's just blimming fantastic. Love the guy. Can't fault him. See, I love this. Being slightly older. Yeah. So, so don't get me wrong. This latest maturation of Seb Vettel has been delightful to follow. But I'm just going to have to point out that this maturation, much like a balsamic vinegar that eventually is delightful to put on food, didn't really show up until he was out of any car that could possibly win him a championship. I mean, I know Catman mentioned Baku, where he just inadvertently smashed into Hamilton behind a safety car because he was irritated with what he thought was a rake jack. And goodness knows we should probably not mention things like multi-21 or turn eight in Istanbul where, you know, we accidentally ran into our teammate and then thought it was entirely their fault. I mean, this has been a journey for Seb and he's always been funny. And and I love this version of him, but he's like, you know, he, he he's like your slightly crazy uncle who's now that cool dude who 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 you know takes you out and Good. buys you things. I, I, I think uh, you said everything I wanted to say there, Matt. I appreciate. Okay, it. fair enough. Uh, as people who talk for a living about Formula One, he has not given us anything short of column inches after column inches. He's been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, every driver has some what I call Schumacherisms, especially towards the start of the career. I mean, we're seeing it with with uh, Verstappen at the moment, you know, with being cutthroat and win at all costs. And I'm sure Verstappen will also marinade into a, a Vettel in a few years' time. You know, <laughs> are we are we laughing at my choice of the word marinade? I thought that was a bit weird. <laughs> no, no I like not, it. I'm not. I'm not seeing him saving any bees anytime soon. Well, we it. My my point is, you know, of course, in the early stages of his career, he was so, so young when he joined the sport. He's been here for so long. And um, yeah, he wasn't the most likable, but he has blossomed and yeah, marinated into a wonderful, wonderful guy. I, I don't think I need to add to that. Uh, Matt to Rumpet at MattPT55 on Twitter. Uh, you uh, play a trumpet, which, as we know, is is like a recorder but it's only got three buttons so it's it's like a, it's like a beginner instrument really but you're quite good at it i've heard you do it you played it in real life and some of our patrons went to see you yes i have to say a special thank you to both todd and honore for coming out oh. to see me last friday in the exceedingly frigid weather because we were outdoors <laughs> um play with the new york city scott orchestra and oh, nice. uh, all i can say is that there are patrons who have been and have, will tell you that it was a good time. And I very much appreciate them coming out to have a listen to oh, me play. And, and that was after advertising where you were going to be on Mistapex. Multiple that times. Yes, of I cool. was desperate. Yeah, no, no, that's kind of cool. So at least there was two people at the gig, which makes a nice change. Uh, but who got your good thing award? Gosh, we are dragging this out. We need to, <laughs> we need to get moving. Do we need to end this? Okay, I'll, I'll make it easy for you by setting the entire internet alight. The Ferrari strategy team <sighs> gets it for me for putting Leclerc into the place they wanted him to be and not messing up any of the calls, despite all the historical precedents that we might think applied in this instant. Antonia, what are you miming? Might I just say, unfortunately, this is the bare minimum. 
We we I I I love I am one to give credit where no, credit no, no, is. No, it's very faint praise. Out of season, it's just this race. Optimizing a driver's performance is actually by definition the strategist's job. So good job for them. Let's try and keep that energy for next season. So if getting the strategy sort of right is like rolling a seven with two dice, they've eventually, after 20 rolls, got a seven this season. They've they've pulled out the exact expected standard. Good for them. I might have been playing too much Catan. That's why I'm thinking of two dice rolls at the moment. Um, and then uh, me, what is it? The good award still. I am yep. going to give uh, my thing of the weekend award to discovering just too late that Alpha Towery do a podcast with uh, Gasly and Sonoda talking to each other in just the, 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 just the nicest, just chilled out dorm room manner and i wish i'd had that insight earlier in the season oh now we get to end the show by being super negative we should swap these around matt so that we're negative to start with and then well it's too late now let's uh, do this award which is oh no you missed the apex uh, i did ask my son if he wanted to re-record this now that it's more like oh no i missed the apex and i'm not in- oh i want to stay in bed and i'm not doing anything and it's unfair and you're not my parent uh, but he said no <laughs> he said to ram it he didn't want to it's not, oh, no. <laughs> We're just a lick past that. Uh, okay, so okay. it's the bad thing. Award Catman, who missed the apex for you? Okay, I'm not going to go for a racing one this time. I'm going to go to Shaquille O'Neal. So he was <laughs> he was seen in the grandstands, and the dude was standing up in front of the rest of the grandstands. <gasps> you Come cannot on, dude. do that. If you're... Don't stand up. You're seven foot one. This is why Sit down ev- and than people anyway. This is why everyone hates tall people universally <laughs> and why us little ones are universally loved. That's, that's exactly why. Speaking of tall, tree-shaped freaks, Antonio Rankin, you are eight foot seven. Uh, and who missed the apex for you? And you are so nice to me. Just for that, I'm actually going to give my Missed Apex Award to you, Spanners, oh, no, for not liking chicanes. <laughs> no, on a, on a serious note, I, um, I'm finding it hard to openly criticise anyone this race <laughs> because unfortunately there wasn't anything massively wrong. I think it's going to have to go to uh, Alonso with his DNF. It just seems like a kind of season of missed apexes, unfortunately for Alonso. It has been mechanical DNF after mechanical DNF. And it's it's more unfortunate for him than it is placing blame on him. But uh, it wasn't nice to see him retire from the last race of the season. One, adjust your Y-axis. Two, are you sure it's not for him moving his stuff to Aston Martin mid-race? Did he actually do that? I don't know. Someone uh, said they did. No, no, after he, the race, yeah. Yeah, he, he went was there. actually spotted by journalists taking his backpack and putting it in the <laughs> Aston Martin garage. Yeah. That's quite funny. Uh, excellent. Let's go to Matt to Rumpets. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, sadly for me, it's not who missed the apex, but who actually hit the apex and unfortunately hit it with Latifi also turning into it. And and that's going to be Schumacher. He'd had such a good race. He was on fresh tires. He was crushing his teammate who was on a terrible strategy. Mm-hmm. And then he just like, I don't know, inattentive. Just didn't, you know, I'm going to go with misjudgment. I think Latifi was far enough out that he didn't think he was coming all the way over mm-hmm. to crush the apex. And then Latifi did. But regardless, it was on him and it was, really not the kind of race that I'd hoped he'd have 
mm. um, in his last active current drive in, in Formula One. I think he deserves better than that. And I, I think he did enough to deserve a drive I personally, especially relative to Hulkenberg, I, who has been crashing in the past. I'm just going to say it. I, I agree. But towards the end of last season, you know, what did I say about Schumacher was we only notice him. He only appears on our radar when there's a crash. And that continued into 2022. I don't agree that he did enough to deserve Oh, you know, one of the 20 race seats in the top most. Great. We have one of our in-between season shows set up and ready to go. There we go. Antonia, sorry. Very briefly, a very commonly discussed phenomenon around a workplace is the idea that they'd never promote internally. They always hire externally to get the managers in. And unfortunately, I do think we're seeing a bit of that in F1 at the moment. Hulkenberg is the guy that got fired twice yeah, not... for for kind of, you know, damaging too many printers or something. And then he keeps <laughs> getting rehired, okay. you know, which I, and I don't say this at all to take away from Hulkenberg's ability as a driver. He's proven himself to be a very reliable guy who can switch in and switch on his ability and do a decent job. However, there are so many drivers who are young drivers and upcoming names in the sport who could do fantastic things, even if it isn't Schumacher, do fantastic things with a race seat. And I do, I was a little bit admittedly disappointed to see that it wasn't another young driver coming in to replace Schumacher or even just Schumacher staying on himself. But it was Hulkenberg, a guy who we have seen for a good few seasons. I honestly just think it's because he looks like a Disney prince and I reckon he just walks into a room and people agree with him. Like that's the I'm only sure that's the main hiring criteria. Yeah. I, I said, I think, I think he made, uh, you know, he made a, 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 a cursed wish with a magic wizard, which is you can be a ridiculously handsome Disney prince looking Formula One driver and have the life that that entails with all its benefits, but you will never get a podium evil cackle proceeds and he never will okay brilliant that brings us to oh no my missed the apex award i think i'm going to stick with with lewis hamilton because i think i don't think he did make the best effort to to stay on track i think he made a tactical error hoping the referees would side with him uh, and they didn't and i think that may have cost him a, a podium today so he missed the apex for me uh, go and follow my panel please uh, at catman f1 on twitter our quiz master Go and follow F1 Antonia on TikTok and follow her Twitter as well on the social media links in the show notes below. And go and follow Matt at MattPT55 and literally go and stalk him in real life because he will tell you exactly where on the globe he's going to be. And you can go to that place and watch him blow into a pipe. And drink beers with me. Drink beers uh, with Matt as well. And if Twitter goes down, I don't know how to use any other forms of social media. So I guess you'll have to email us our feedback at mistapex.net. Matt gets that email as well, uh, which increases your chance of that being replied to. But also follow me on Twitter. I'm at SpannersReady. I'm the best one. Follow me there. And on Facebook, I, I, I will friend you, but I don't know how to do anything else. Same on Instagram. I do put some pictures up at SpannersReady, but I, I saw people sending me DMs and adding me to stories. I have no idea how to interact with that. So, so please don't do that anymore. But join us for our season tech review midweek and for our season review call-in on Sunday. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.